Today's message is called, What Does the Resurrection of Jesus Christ Do for You? And I've found that for things to help me, Bible things to help me, Jesus things to help me, I have to know what it means to me. And I hate to say it this way, I have to know the benefits that it has for me. And I look back on all the changes that God has done in my life. It always came when I understood how something helped me. I I hate to be that selfish. But when I understand how the Bible helps me in a particular area, then all of a sudden the Bible means something to me. When I understand how Jesus helps my life in a certain particular way, then it means something to me and then I can latch on to it and, and, and believe it and do something with it. But when I just have head knowledge, it does me no good. It just does me no good. And uh, uh, let me tell you what we all have. If we've come to church any length of time, we all have head knowledge that really needs to be turned into an experiential knowledge. Knowledge of our lives where we apply something and it worked for us. Let me read you some scriptures, though. Um, Again, with the thought in mind, what does the resurrection of Jesus do for you? (laughs) What's in it for you? Have you ever heard of that? Whiffem, what's in it for you? It's a sales tactic. You know what? God made us to be sold on things, sold on eternal life. The Bible talks of him persuading us. He persuades us. I am persuaded uh, by Jesus. But look at John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus says... I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. And even though he he should die, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Amen? Now we're going to die a physical death, but we won't die that second spiritual death that's so horrendous and horrific that if you read these scriptures about Wednesday night, we'll give you a little bit more insight as to that second death. If Jesus is the resurrection, I can live today in a new way. Have you ever, have you ever walked? I remember once just walking along. I was in the country somewhere. I was thinking the Gila. That's where I was, up in New Mexico. And the van of young people had already gone. We were at a youth camp, and so I had to walk to where we were going. And as I walked, I started seeing things I'd never seen before. Pretty flowers, the mountains, the, the little stream. And I felt life. I felt excited. I felt engaged with what was going on. And I just started talking to God. Man, I love life. Have you ever felt that way before? Where you could say, I love life? All right? When you get to that place, it's because Jesus is walking right beside you. And that's that resurrected life that I'm talking about. And even then some. That was a puny little example compared to the joy that God can give you because he's resurrected, you're resurrected. Because he was raised up and seated in the heavenly realms, we're told in the Bible that we're raised up and seated in heavenly realms, accessing every spiritual blessing that you need. That's what happens. If Jesus hadn't been resurrected, that wouldn't be the case. See, there's something in it for us. But look at, look at Luke 24, verses 1 through 8. I'll read them to you. It says, on the first day of the week, early in the morning, a woman took spices. The women actually took spices that they'd prepared and went to the tomb where Jesus was found. They found the, 
the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, the negative person would have looked in there and said, somebody stole the body. The, the, the believing person would have looked in there and said, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Which side of the fence do you end up on? Are you mostly negative or are you mostly believing and positive in what God promises? But we read on here in verse 4, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down to their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? And I would ask you, why do we look for life among the dead? (laughs) You flip it. Why would we go party on Saturday night when we're looking for life in dead places? Why would we take drugs or a couple of pills and look for life in dead places? Why would we do that? We look for the living, we look for life among the living. That's what we need to do. Go to life where you can find life. So it says, um, He is not here, He is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, but on the third day He would be raised again. Then they remembered His words. And let me tell you what, all of us, like those disciples, have to go through that cycle, it seems, where we believe, then something dies, and we die with it. But then we're raised to life again out of the ashes that we've gone through, and we experience eternal life like we've never experienced it before. We've got to have that head knowledge become heart knowledge. In 1 Peter 1.3, it says, Praise be to the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy has given us new birth, what? Into a living hope. A living hope. We need to stop having this death and this negativity and this doubt and this discouragement and this depression that goes on in all of us and start having a living hope. Don't you want that? It comes from the risen Lord and Savior. Because He rose, He can give you this new living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So I ask you today, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ do for you? And I want to give you three ideas. But before I give you these three ideas, look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3, and some of the following verses. It says, For what I received... I passed on to you as first importance. Now in the Bible, when you hear of priority, you hear of first importance, we need to pay special attention to that. What is that talking about? So let's look and see what this first importance was. It says, it's that Christ died for our sins. (laughs) That's of first importance. That's of priority. The sin that you can't kick, the Bible says sin will have no more dominion over you because you are no longer under the law, you are under grace, and that's because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You don't have to be dominated or mastered by sin anymore. Isn't that powerful? It says, he died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, 
that he uh, then appeared to the 12. And after that, he appeared. Listen to this. This is amazing. He appeared to more than 500 people at one time. Did you know that? During the 40 days that Jesus was here on earth, he appeared to 500 people at the same time. And it says here that most of those people at the time of this writing of 1 Corinthians were still alive. They could still testify. I saw him. I saw the risen Savior. I, it, it, you can't deny it. I saw him. I touched him. I saw him. He spoke to me. All right? Although some have fallen asleep in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. As one abnormally born. For I am... For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, listen to this, by the grace of God, I am who I am. And that's who we are as well because of the resurrected Christ. His grace to me makes me who I am, a lot better person than I used to be. Is God finished with me yet? Is God finished with you yet? No, he's going to keep on perfecting you because he's the resurrected Lord. And it says, his grace to me was not without effect. The resurrection of Jesus means that he can pour his love and his grace on you and change who you are into a better, more wonderful person. More conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What's in it for me? Thank goodness grace is in it for me. If he hadn't resurrected, I wouldn't know the grace of God. But he was raised to death, so from death, so that I could be raised to life as well and know the grace of God. So today, I pray that our head knowledge would become something in our heart that means something that we can't just re- rehearse. I, I remember teaching junior high uh, Sunday school. This was a long time ago. Every question I asked this little kid, he knew it. He knew it. He knew it. He knew it. But you know what? He didn't know love. (laughs) He knew all the right answers, but he didn't know or feel loved. And that poor little kid went on into high school and and into adulthood and has had a miserable life. Because he had the head knowledge, but he never let it sink down into his heart to mean something to him. So I pray that today the resurrection of Jesus means something to us. Look at this. Here's the question one more time. What does the resurrection of Jesus do for you and me? Well, put my paper down too soon here. First of all, the the resurrection of Jesus gives us good news to hear. (laughs) All right, you talk about a head knowledge answer. There it is, but I want to explain this further so that it means something to us. The resurrection of Jesus gives us good news to hear. Now, I want you to think about this. Have you ever heard good news ever even one day? Aside from the Bible, aside from Jesus, you went to the doctor and you heard good news. Or you looked in your checkbook and you were shocked with some good news. That's a pretty unusual one. Or you, you got a call from a brother, sister, or your child, or whoever, and you heard some good news. What did it do for you? It raises your spirits. 
You get, you go, a college student goes to look at their grades and they see A when they expected a C. That's good news. It raises your spirit. You turn around with a smile on your face and your day goes well from that point forward. The resurrection of Jesus gives you eternal good news to hear every day of your life. <laughs> we, I tell you what, if that weren't head knowledge for all of us right now, we would literally be jumping up and down and shouting for joy. But the fact that we're so somber right now <laughs> means we need to get this good news in our hearts so that it means something. It gives us good news to hear. Let me tell you what, what you hear affects your life. If you hear good news, it affects your life. If you hear bad news, it affects your life. And see, the difference is, if you hear the good news of Jesus' resurrection, it opens up you up to miracles that you won't get otherwise. If you hear the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, it opens up your life to miracles that you won't get otherwise. We need to hear this good news. What kinds of miracles? Well, it gives you the miracle of spiritual health. When you hear the good news about Jesus, you are opened up to the miracle of spiritual health. Many of us struggle with spiritual health. We feed ourselves once a week, maybe come into church, and our spiritual health is very weak. It's very anemic. It's not strong at all. And we think God is distant and God doesn't love us and this, that, and the other. But let me tell you what, when you start hearing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus and you hear that every day, your spiritual health is miraculously restored and you're strengthened like you were never strengthened before. Let me tell you what, the miracle of mental health. We're all just on the precipice of having mental health issues, every one of us. You know what the first sign of mental health problems is? Is worry. That's the first step towards mental health problems is when you worry. Worry will consume you. Worry is fear, and fear turns is some of the first steps towards insanity. I have a, a relative who has had, uh, I think it's schizophrenia, his whole, most of his whole adult life. And his dad said, I noticed when he was a teenager, the fear in his eyes. I wish I would have done something about it. Wow. Fear is the signs and stages of mental health issues. But let me tell you what, when we hear the good news of the resurrected Lord... We're on our path to miraculous recovery of a stable mind, of a sane mind. Amen? We've got to realize the resurrection, the connection of his resurrection has to our mental health. And let me tell you, we know, all of us know, the mental health epidemic that's in our country right now. People depressed, discouraged. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to give an example here towards the end of my mess. Let's continue, though. It's, it gives you the miracle of peace financial stability, a healthy family, a healthy marriage, rescue from disaster. Look at this verse in Romans 10, 17. We're talking about the, hearing the good news. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing. Did you hear that? You want faith in your life? It comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. 
not the word of God. We're going to make that point here in just a second. Hearing from the word of Christ. Another version says it very in very mundane, common terms. Listen to this. So faith comes from hearing the good news. That's what this version says. And people hear the good news when someone tells them about Christ or about Jesus. All right? We better be careful what we're hearing. <laughs> in fact, the Bible even tells us that in, um, let's see, I think it's in Mark I'm skipping ahead here. Mark 4.24, it says, Consider carefully what you hear. With a measure you use, it'll be measured back to you and even more. What is that saying? The measure that you read your Bible and hear the word of God about his resurrected life that he wants to give you, he's going to start pouring life into you, pouring life into you. So if you give God five minutes, he's going to give you ten minutes. You give God two hours of your week, he's going to give you four hours, maybe more. He's going to measure back to you what you put into what he has for you. Hear, listen, and God is going to change your life. See, if we hear, then we have faith. If we have faith, we have miracles. That's just simply the way that it works. So we better be hearing, and God, through his resurrection, has given us that ability. The gospel, the good news has innate power to save. Not once, not twice, but millions of times. You know how many times God has saved me? More times than I can count. I don't know that I would go around saying, I'm saved. No, I would go around saying, I'm being saved. <laughs> he saves me from bad eating habits. He saves me from what, you know, keeping me from watching bad stuff on TV or on the internet. He saves me and he wants to save you too. But I have to hear the good news in order to receive that salvation. So the opposite is, is true as well. If we, what we hear can also produce fear. If you're not listening to Jesus, you're listening to other sources, you can invite fear right into your life and be a very fearful person, a person that's too scared to leave the house, a person that's too scared to drive, a person that's too scared to go out and look for a job, a person that's too scared to do anything, all right? Hearing can cause fear as well if you're listening to the wrong sources. Fear will produce spiritual darkness, mental illness, condemning, guilty, negative thoughts day in and day out, unfulfilled dreams, poor parenting, a bad marriage. You, what you hear can take you either way. But the good news is God sends us the resurrected message, and that's good news. And if we listen to it, it'll change our life. Here's some good news. I'll just share with you right now. You can just... You can just uh, open up and just receive. Here's, here's some good news in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. God's given that. Hey, that's good news, right? We should get excited about this and say, I'm not going to receive fear because God's not given me fear. I'm going to hear the good news. He's given me power, love, sound mind. In Romans 8, 31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's some good news. Receive it. Say, I take that. I like that. That's good for me. Uh, then there's Romans 8, 1, famous, famous verse. Therefore, if there's, there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's some good news. Receive it right now. It says in Matthew 8, 20, For surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. In John 3, 16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave what was most important to him, his one and only son. All you have to do is believe on his son and you won't perish. That's really good news. It better be getting out of our brains and into our hearts, though. So what we hear about God is what we eventually believe about God. So if we believe that we hear that, we're going to start believing that. And if we believe that God is just always an angry God, then we won't come to him whenever we're doing something wrong. We'll run from God. But you know what? The Bible describes God as God is love. <laughs> And if I know that my God is love, then I'm going to run to him when I mess up. I'm not run away from him. Now, God has anger. It expresses the Bible. I'm not going to blush over that or wash over that and say that this isn't true. God has anger. He's indignant about things. But the Bible never describes God as anger. (laughs) The Bible describes God as love. And so what we hear about God is what we'll believe about God, and that's how we'll act out. So if we believe that God doesn't heal, uh, we hear that God doesn't heal our church. My church teaches that God doesn't heal. Not this church, some other church. All right, then I'm going to believe that God doesn't heal, and therefore I won't be healed. (laughs) But if you hear that God heals, then you'll believe that God heals, and then you'll receive your miracle from God as well. All right? And it goes down the, the, the line, example after example. But let me ask you, did Jesus ever make the sick sicker? Did Jesus ever make the poor poorer? Did Jesus ever make the hungry go even more hungry? No, that's not, that's not God. So you have to read what Jesus did and absorb his character from the stories that you read about Jesus, and it produces faith, and then faith will produce a miracle for us. So we got to be careful what we're listening to. Jesus' resurrection gives us good news to hear that we wouldn't hear otherwise. Number two, Jesus' resurrection opens the door for us to believe God's word of grace. All right, I'm going to say that again slowly. Jesus' resurrection opens a door that's closed. That door back there is closed. Let's say that's the door that Jesus opens. His resurrection opens that door. So now I can believe the word of grace that he's speaking to me. That door was closed before his resurrection, but now it's opened. And so in Romans 10, 17, we already started reading. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Not the word of God, the word of Christ. Now you would say, Steve, the word of God and the word of Christ are one and the same. They are, but the Bible speaks specifically about the word of Christ. There must be some kind of meaning behind that. Well, the word of Christ is revealed when Jesus was revealed. His word to us speaks forgiveness. His word to us speaks love. His word speaks to us grace. That's the word of Christ. It's the new covenant that God gave to us through his son, Jesus. 
The word of Christ is not distant. It's not hard to understand. It's not condemning. It's a word of love, forgiveness, embracing. He treasures you. Did you know that? He treasures you. That's the word of Christ. Well, the word of Christ is also referred to many times in the New Testament as the word of grace. The word of grace. A while back and even today, there's this movement called the word of faith. The word of faith. There's some good things to the word of faith, and there's some things that I don't believe about in the word of faith movement. But you know what I like better is the word of grace movement. (laughs) The word of grace. His word about me speaks infinitely more importance than what you could ever say about me or what a demon from hell could say about me, or what my past could say about me. The word of grace says, Steve, I've covered you. I've forgiven you. If you'll believe in my son Jesus, the word of grace applies to you. Looking in Acts 20, 32, it says, Now commit to you. the uh, Oh, shoot, I believe this is the Apostle Paul. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. There's many places where the word of grace is referred to. I commit you to the word of grace. Listen to what the word of grace can do. It will build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Isn't that amazing? So the word of grace builds you up. Have you ever felt torn down by somebody? Ripped apart? You know, condemned? Cursed? God's word of grace builds you up. It builds you up, and it gives you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Let me tell you something. Grace, God's grace, is what causes you to get to a place of sanctification and holiness. You don't get yourself to a place of sanctification and holiness. Doing good works and, and acts even of obedience is not going to make you holy. God's grace is what makes you holy. You receive God's grace and his sanctifying Holy Spirit gets into you and he starts purifying you and building you up and making you holy. And so the the resurrection of Jesus opens you up to the word of grace so that you can finally believe it. uh, I've been about three years, and I've mentioned this before, where I might lose my job six months from now. Six months from now, six months from now, constantly in my face, you might lose your job, you might lose your job, you might lose your job. Well, in losing your job, you could lose your car, you could lose your house, you could lose your livelihood. And that, what I'm hearing is constantly coming to me. But you know what? One, one day I was driving home from work and these fears were kind of coming, worries were kind of coming over me. And the Lord told me, when are you going to start believing me? <laughs> When are you going to start believing my word of grace that everything is going to be fine? And I ask you the same thing. When are you going to start believing God? (laughs) If he said he's going to do something, he's going to do it. If he sends you a word of grace, that word of grace is going to be fulfilled. Believe your God. He's opened the door through his resurrection so you can finally believe him. You know what? It's natural to believe God. But we, in our natural state, do unnatural things and worry instead of believing God. John 6, 28 and 29, they asked him, what must we do? This was a religious person asking this. What must we do to do the work that God requires? Have you ever asked God that? God, what can I do to be pleasing to you? (laughs) 
And here's Jesus' response. He said, the work of God is this, to believe on the one who sent me. To believe on him. Believe in Jesus. Now, many people believe in Jesus. What I'm talking about, when I talk about believing in Jesus, is opening your heart to him and letting him start depositing the word of grace into your heart. If you close your life to God, you're not believing him. But if you open your heart to God, you are believing him and he can begin to put things into your life. He can put peace into your life. He can put faith into your life. He can put blessings into your life. But if you're close to him, you can't. And so our work is just to believe God. If he said it, if he promised it, he's going to fulfill it. In Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ, remember the word of grace here, the word of quiet Christ dwell in you richly. Let it open your heart and let God's word, Christ's word of grace come into your life and let it stay there. If you're discouraged or depressed, keep opening your heart to the Lord. Keep opening your heart to the Lord and he eventually will help you with all that discouragement. When you get down, when you feel like you can't take another step forward, he will help you as long as you keep your heart open to him. Your imperfect, my imperfect heart to him. Give you a couple of scriptures here of the word of grace. Let's see if you can believe this about yourself. <laughs> it says, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for me so that in Jesus I might become the righteousness of God. Now, if you believe in Jesus, you've opened your heart to the Lord, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Can you believe that, though? You say, but I've sinned. It doesn't matter. <laughs> if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Plain and simple. He's declared it over you. You need to believe it now. You need to start walking in it right now. That's the word of grace. Here's another word of grace. Uh, I've already read this one. I'll read it again. It's in Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you feel condemned? You say, I feel condemned because I did the wrong thing. Just You don't know me. I walked in the door doing the wrong thing. And the, the word of grace says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you receive the word of grace and believe it? It's hard, isn't it? Some of us are struggling with this. This is what I'm talking about right now. In John 15, 16, it says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Many of us struggle with that as well. But I chose God. No, you didn't. God chose you, and you responded to his choosing. As simple as that, we cooperated with God. That's the word of grace. Colossians 1.13, it says, He's rescued me from the dominion of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. You say, I still feel like I'm in darkness. Let me tell you what, if you believe on the Son of God, Jesus, you've been rescued out of that darkness, whether you feel it or not. It's a reality. It's the word of grace. And lastly, Romans 6.14 for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law. You are under grace. That's a word of grace. But do you believe it? You need to believe it. Jesus' resurrection opened that door so that you can believe these words. That's what the resurrection of Jesus did. Number three, and a little bit shorter than the first two, so bear with me. We're almost done here. 
Jesus' death and resurrection demonstrated God's great love for you and me. Demonstrated. What is demonstrated? Well, I've used this example before, but I could tell my wife that I love her a million times, but if I don't give her a present here and there, she's not going to know that I love her. If, if I leave the bed unmade and she always has to make up the bed, she's not going to feel very loved, all right? If, if I don't pitch in and wash the dishes every so often, she's not going to feel very loved, all right? I have to demonstrate that I love her. I have to show that I love her. That's important. That's imperative. God never just gave lip service to his love. He demonstrated his love to us, and he demonstrates his love to us today. All right. And so that's what the resurrection of Jesus did is it demonstrated the full cycle of his love for us that he lived here on earth so that you and I could know that he's gone through everything that you and I have gone through. He didn't have to do that, but he has. If you've been depressed, Jesus was his struggled depression. Now, a perfect son of God never gave up his deity, but he was confronted with depression just like you and I have been. Discouragement lust, greed, avarice, whatever it is, Jesus faced it, and worse still, he took it all on his shoulders in a single point in time and died through the process so that we could be set free. He demonstrated his love. I, was, um, I listened to this preacher once. She said, when are you going to start believing that God loves you? He gave you his son. When are you going to start knowing that God loves you? Who else would do that for you? And that was a turning point in my life. When I was like, yeah, why do I always doubt God's love? I mean, he died for me. He gave his son for me. It's real. It's true. He proved it. But he didn't stop there. He was resurrected. And now he gives me resurrected life. And to Jimmy's point, in uh, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of, God, kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all of these things that you need and want, he's going to bless you with as well. He constantly is proving his love to you, constantly proving. He demonstrates his love through his resurrection. Look at Isaiah 30, 18. It says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Do you know what grace is? Grace is love demonstrated. It's love proved out by a certain action. That's what grace is. Grace is many things, but that's, that is, that's a description of grace. It's proving his love. It's showing his love. He says he longs to show his grace to you. Therefore, he will rise up. And I love this picture. He stands up. He rises up to show you compassion. Not to say, I have compassion, on to show you compassion. And I dare you to think of the millions of times that God has shown you compassion. And don't look at the one time where you feel like God didn't show up, didn't it? What about the other 99,000 times that God came through? We can't get hung up on the one thing because the one thing might be a process that he's taken through, taking us through that's going to end up in a blessed state at some point. But it says, he shows you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Now, this is written in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we come to understand how God is a God of justice, not a God that pounds us on the head when we mess up. He's a God who justifies the unjust. That's the God of justice. He justifies the unjust who come to him. All right? Blessed are those who wait on him. So God doesn't just love you. 
He shows his love to you. Let me ask you, in the last 30 minutes, have you not taken several breaths of air? Has your heart not beated, beaten, whatever it's called? Is it not beating right now? All right. Can you not see? Do you not have touch? Are you not sitting here in this place? God loves you. He loves you. Take that. Digest that. Believe that. We just need to receive his love. We need to recognize his love. We need to drown in his love. Drown in his love this week. Recognize his love. John was the disciple who Jesus loved. Did not God love Jesus, love the other 11 disciples, and yet John described himself as the disciple who Jesus loved? You know what the difference was between John and the other 11? He just recognized that he was loved. <laughs> That's the only difference. And you know what? It opened him up to all kinds of miracles. He was closer to Jesus than the rest. It's amazing. Look at this. Um, Mary was greeted by the angel in Luke 1 as highly favored. Now, was Mary more highly favored than, than he, others? No. You know what it was? Mary simply received the favors of God. What did she say when the angel said, you're a virgin, you're going to give birth, he's going to be the son of God, Emmanuel, God with us? You know what she said? Let it be done according to me, according to your word. Amen. Did you get that? She was highly favored because she realized she was highly favored. I'll never forget talking to this little 16-year-old girl, bullied at school, messed around with, but she always had a beautiful smile on her face. And I told her, you know what? Her name was Angie. I said, God, I, I just sensed it. God loves you so much. You're, you're his treasure. And she smiled back and she said to me, she said, I know. Isn't that cool? When God says, I love you, you should say, I know. <laughs> I know. I receive it. I believe it. Stop walking around like a pauper or somebody that doesn't count to society. God loves you and you should know it. You should receive it. And then lastly, I think of Daniel, who was greeted by the angel in Daniel, the book of Daniel. He was greeted and said, highly esteemed. You're highly esteemed. You know why Daniel was highly esteemed? Not because he was the most obedient guy in the world or did the best things or got over the fact that he was taken uh, slave or captive into Babylon. He was highly esteemed because he knew he was highly esteemed. He received it. And as a result, God demonstrated his love to Daniel by revealing the future to him. You are highly esteemed. When are you going to start realizing it, receiving it from God? Jesus' resurrection is a demonstration of God's love to you, ongoing love. Let's end with just a couple of verses here. Ephesians 1, 6, you can jot this one down. It, it, this just struck me. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Oh, I love God's grace. With which he has blessed and favored us in the beloved. God has just poured out his grace on us. In the beloved, which is Jesus, inside of Jesus, God just keeps pouring and demonstrating his love over and over again. Then in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6, it says, As you have come to him, living stones rejected by man, or by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. You're precious. Now, nothing gives a better picture of preciousness, than a, in my opinion, than a grandpa 
with his granddaughter. That grandpa just looks at his little granddaughter as precious. She's just precious, you know? And God looks at you as precious, treasured, loved. He embraces you. He loves you. That's life-changing when you live that way. And you can look up at your grandpa, so to speak, your, your father, and say, I know I'm precious to you. <laughs> just receive that. It's life-changing. It reads on here in verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in the Scripture. See, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone. You know how precious you are to God? Just as precious as His very own Son is just as precious as his very own son is. When are you and I going to take that head knowledge and let it sink down and say, thank God for your resurrection that has revealed these things to me? When are we going to stop having head knowledge, religiosity, and start having relationship with God, closeness with God, talking to God, reading God's word and receiving. I'll end with this, this testimony of this young lady. Just impacted me over the last two weeks. Abused young lady. So bad that she had PTSD. She got to the place where we, she went insane, abusing pills, and she claimed she had 14 different personalities, split personality, a mess. And one day, she heard a preacher preach about God's grace. She heard the word of grace. And she, I'm going to quote her specifically, she said, the word of grace, she, well, she didn't say the word of grace. The word that she heard opened her heart. And that's what Jesus does. He coaxes you to open your heart. He says, the, the Bible says, he draws you with cords of kindness it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance, not his anger, not his wrath, and not the fear of hell. <laughs> it's his kindness that causes you to open. This lady opened her heart, and she describes it this. Hope and faith sprung up in her heart. That's her exact words. Hope and faith sprung up in her heart, and she began to hear the Holy Spirit speaking, and she was instantly delivered. She said she was a chain smoker as well. She said, I never wanted to smoke ever again. Why? Because of the grace, the word of grace to her that was spoken to. Amazing testimony. And it could be for you. It could be your testimony or my testimony. It could be any one of ours. That's what the resurrection of our Lord does for us.